Uh, We're going to read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. So if you've got a Bible from up the back, it's on page 495. So Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Has he gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got the joy of opening up God's Word this morning as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, as we think about into the kingdom, how to enter the kingdom of God. And so let's ask God now to help us. So please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your Word, and we just ask now that you're quiet in our hearts, take away the distractions of our lives. But Father, Lord, may we see the beauty and the wonder that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's been a a guy by the name of Ned Brockman who has been capturing my imagination over the last month or so. He's a a boy who grew up in the little country town of Bajerabong, which which was outside of Forbes. And today he works in Sydney as a tradie. He's an electrician. He's got a mullet. He looks like a tradie. And he works in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, like Bondi in those areas. But as Ned worked, as he walked the streets of Sydney... Something he was confronted by was the reality of homelessness. He was distraught to see how many people were homeless. And so as he'd walk the streets, he would only have a few dollars to give them. He said, I only have a few dollars or I'd have the jumper on my back and I felt like I could do nothing more. And so Ned thought, well, he's a runner. He thought, I'm going to want to go and raise some money. And so being a runner, he thought he would run from Perth to Bondi in 40 days, 100k a day over two marathons and raise at least $1 million for homeless in Australia. Now he wanted to break the world record of 43 days. Sadly, Ned didn't quite get there because of an injury, but he did it in 46 days this week. He made the papers, he made social media, he made the news because he raised over $1.5 million by the time he crossed that line. See, Ned, he was a runner, but he did a wonderful thing, and it was a wonderful cause for the homeless. And it captured my imagination, and it captured the hearts of Australians that he would do this for the down and the outs, for those in poverty. But imagine this. A man who's helped many people as an electrician, Rather than deciding to run for the poor and the impoverished and the homeless, Ned comes out and says, I'm going to run and raise money for the the rich. 
the wealthy, those who live in Bondi who can walk to the beach, those who have mansions with jacuzzis and pools and designer furniture and lights. Imagine if he said that and he ran from Perth to Bondi. Imagine how we would feel. I wonder if you would feel a bit annoyed. I wonder if you would start to grumble. It would hit the social media, Twitter, Facebook. It would hit the news lines of going, this is despicable. To be running and raising money for the wealthy and for the rich, it would, it would take, maybe it would take you by surprise. I think it would take Australia by surprise to think that he would want to invest in the rich and the wealthy. It would be surprising. And today we actually come to a story that's even far more surprising. We come to a story where a man encounters Jesus and encounters more than he was encountering for. In the context of chapter 18, we have a rich ruler who wanted to know how to gain eternal life. And Jesus said, just get rid of all your money. And he couldn't do it. And God said, Jesus said, it's impossible for man to gain eternal life, but it's possible for God. And so today we're going to encounter Jesus and we're going to see something surprising. We're going to see two things, that where Jesus is, salvation is there. And where Jesus is, there is transformation as well. And so today we're going to learn a couple of things in this surprising story. Last week we saw that Jesus, he was approaching Jericho and a blind man encounters Jesus. The crowd tries to stop this blind man. And we saw the elements of what it means to be a Christian when Pastor RJ preached last week. We saw a physically blind man in poverty gain spiritual sight. And today we're in chapter 19, verse 1. Have a look at verse 1. Jesus, he enters Jericho and was passing through. At this stage, Jesus is a couple of days away from being crucified on a cross. Jesus' mission from chapter 9, verse 51 is his eyes have been set on Jerusalem. And so he's on his way there. He knows that's his mission. And so this is a couple of days beforehand, and he enters the, the city and the, the town of Jericho. Now, Jericho, it's a, an interesting place. It was probably one of the most fertile cities within Judea. It was a hive, hive of activity. It was one of those trade centers of cross, you know, that the four roads would meet in this city. It was a fertile area. There was water. It was a wonderful place to live in this valley. There was lots of money. There was lots of wealth. It was a beautiful place to live. Jericho prized itself. It had swimming pools. It had multiple theatres. It had an amphitheatre. There was a Herodine Palace located in Jericho. And I reckon if it was 21st century Australia, you'd, you'd imagine the valley of Jericho lined with mansions on the hill with, you know, with a water glass pool line, with a jacuzzi, with designer furniture. It was a place of wealth. And Jesus enters this city. And the crowds surround him. They, they, they want to see who he is. And when we encounter Jesus, hopefully today we're going to encounter more than we were encountering for. And so today we have two things we're going to see. We're going to see that where Jesus is, there is salvation. That's our first point. Where Jesus is, there is salvation. Have a look at verse 2 again. Zacchaeus. Now, that's a, in, in, that name in the Hebrew actually means innocent. But Zacchaeus is far from being innocent. We notice that his name is Zacchaeus. He was a chief 
tax collector and was wealthy. So not only is he wealthy, but he's actually a very powerful person in society. He's the chief tax collector of Jericho. Now, in a way, Judea was under the governance of Rome and Rome had three providences in which they collected tax and Jericho was one of those big regions. And so we encounter Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, but he's not just an average tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. He's the, he has a tax collector franchise, like a Gloria Jeans or a Maccas. It's sort of a bit like a drug cartel. He's the pin. He's, he's, the, he's at the height of the pyramid scheme. Right? There's tax collectors under him, and they have tax collectors under them, and it just goes down. And guess where all the money comes from? These men go out and they collect money. They pass it to the person above them. And the chief tax collector who gets it is Zacchaeus. And then he passes that money on to Rome. See, Rome puts out a tender. We need this much money. And, and Zacchaeus, I can get you that. And so he gets that, but he gets more through oppressing and saying, I want more money. And he just puts it in his pocket. So not only is he already wealthy, but he's corrupt as well. It's a pyramid scheme. It's a franchise of his. And so... For the Jewish people, they saw the Jews who sold themselves out to be tax collectors. They saw them as informants. They were the people who oppressed them because Rome oppressed them. And they were hated by the Jews. Not only were they hated, they feared the tax collectors. And so as the crowd comes along, I don't think they'd be too impressed to see this great sinner. Have a look at verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, it's un, we not sort of really know, did they notice that it was Zacchaeus and so they weren't letting him through the crowd? Or was it just that he was too small? But they would not let him through. He's a short guy. And the crowd stopped him. A couple of, well, before I was married, when I was, I was dating my lovely wife, Ali, who was up the front here before, we, I was living in Park, she was in Orange, and I decided I want to go to a concert, so I went to a Keith urban concert, country music. It was held at Moore Park. It was a Saturday night. I wanted to get the best seats in the house because there was no seating allocation. And so we turned up to this concert really early. And so we, 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 we're waiting. And then as we're led into this theater in Moore Park, guess what I'm shocked by? There's no seats. It was a standing only concert. And because we were there so early, I me, Ali, and our group, we got basically front row seats to Keith Urban. I could see him. I could smell him. I could see the sweat beating off his brow. I could see the chords he was playing. I even scored his sweatband that was around his arm. I actually think I've still got it today in my squash bag. Now, I'm not really that worried about getting a sweatband off Keith Urban, but it was great. But can you imagine me, a six foot five human being, standing here and Keith's just there? Can you imagine the response? So during the night, people would walk up to, excuse me, sir, um, you're in the road. Could we stand in front of you? Now, I'd paid money and I said no. Others come up to you and they say, hey, you're dressed well. You look nice. They were sort of sucking up to me and saying, hey, could we get in front of you, is there any chance you're tall? You can see. I paid money. I said no. Now, if it was a kid's school anniversary or something to do with there, and I was, I'm always in the back row, I know my place. But here the crowd is stopping Zacchaeus, who's a small man, getting through. And so Zacchaeus decides, 
I, I just want to see who Jesus is a little bit. I just want to, who is this person? And so he, he sort of goes forward and he finds a, a sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees, they're not like gum trees. They're, they're, they're different. They're lower and they have branches that are really low to the ground because a short man can't climb trees. And so these branches are low and he climbs up in the tree. But sycamore trees also are very dense with leaves. So in a way, you can hop in a sycamore tree and you won't be noticed. And so Zacchaeus is here, he's up the tree, and he gets a vision so he can see Jesus a little bit clearer, but not be too fast. And yet Zacchaeus gets more than he bargained for when he climbed up that tree. And maybe you're here today, and you've stepped through these doors, and you're just inquiring about Jesus. You're wondering, who really is Jesus in this world? I just want to come to a church, find out what, who Jesus is. Zacchaeus was like that. He just wants to know, who is Jesus? And my prayer is that actually as you encounter Jesus, you'll encounter more than you're encountering for. Because Zacchaeus gets more than he is encountering for. Because that's exactly what Zacchaeus gets. He gets a clearer understanding of who Jesus is. A rich man who encounters Jesus. Because where Jesus is, there is salvation. And to the crowd's surprise, this would have been a surprise to the crowd. Jesus is walking along. He stops, he looks up, and he says by name, Zacchaeus, it is necessary. You must come down today. I'm coming to your home to stay. What a scene. A tax collector, a great sinner. Because no matter how important you were in the ancient world, you generally didn't invite yourself to someone's home for a meal. Jesus knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus knew Jesus. And what is Zacchaeus' response? Did you notice Zacchaeus' response in verse 6? So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and he received Jesus joyfully. Jesus rescued Zacchaeus. He was a wealthy man, he had most things, and he really wasn't in a desperate situation. Just a man who just wanted to just get a bit of a glimpse of who Jesus was. See, Jesus is a personality, people just wanted to come and have a look. He's a bit of a sideshow, like, what, what's he doing? And yet where Jesus is, there is salvation. And Jesus enters Zacchaeus' life. He enters Zacchaeus's life. Zacchaeus doesn't invite him over. Jesus invites himself over. The creator of the universe, the image of the invisible God, through whom all things were created, comes over to Zacchaeus's house, which now says, I'm a friend of yours. I'm family. And he receives him with great joy. Did you notice that he receives him gladly and the crowds... They grumble. They grumble. They, they receive the news of this salvation with absolute grumbling. And yet this man, where, there is sal where Jesus is, there is salvation. See, this rich ruler from a couple of weeks ago wanted to gain eternal life. And Jesus said, hey, go and do these things. And he said, I can't do it. And Jesus says, it's impossible for you and me. It's impossible for man to enter the kingdom of God. And yet here, what's impossible with God? It's impossible for him to do it. Last week, we saw a blind man. So, so we have two people. We have someone who is physically blind and in poverty. And we have another man who is a great sinner 
with a lot of wealth and who is corrupt. And Jesus is in the business of saving sinners. See, Jesus says to this capitalist, to this corrupt villain, he says to Zacchaeus, I love you. He says, I'm coming home. I'm your friend and I'm your family. Because where Jesus is, there is salvation. Where Jesus is, there is salvation. And yet there's far more to it than that. Because when Jesus enters our lives, when he comes home, when he resides in us, we can never, ever stay the same. And that brings us to number two. Because where Jesus is, there's transformation. Where Jesus is, there is transformation. There is new life. We go from a greedy tax collector to a follower of Christ. Jesus brings renewal. He brings salvation. He brings a restructuring to our lives. Because he's in the business of making us new. He's in the business of making us new creations. He's given us new hearts. So you can't truly encounter Jesus without it truly changing you. Because true repentance bears fruit. So the big question that they're asking in kids' church at the moment is, what is repentance? Ask your kids today over lunch. What is repentance? Repentance is turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. So he doesn't say the word repentance here, but it's pretty obvious that there's repentance. There is, that there's this faith and repentance go together. His life is transformed, and so his thinking has changed the way that he acts. See, repentance is it's just a, it means a change of mind, a change of thought of how you think. Now, in the, in, in the Western culture, in the 21st century, we just see that as cognitive. It's just something we think. But in the ancient world, to have a change of mind was actually to change your actions as well. So repentance changes us. And listen to this quote. Have a listen to it. When Jesus enters our lives, we cannot stay the same. Salvation cannot be reduced to our response to an altar call or our filling out a decision card at church. True repentance reaches into our checkbooks, we could probably say our debit cards, and makes changes, shuffling our priorities. True repentance pushes us to our neighbor's doorstep to ask for forgiveness for past faults. True repentance cancels debts, transforms our priorities, reforms our desires, modifies our dreams, and heals our hurt and the hurt of others. That's what we see here with Zacchaeus. We see what it means to follow Jesus. See, last week we saw the blind man who's been given sight, who actually had spiritual sight. We saw that he followed Jesus. And here's what it means to follow Jesus. It's, to be, it's, to, it's repentance is involved in that. And we see it with Zacchaeus. Have a look at verse 8. Have a look what he does. Zacchaeus, he stands up and he says to Jesus, Look, Jesus, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back. That's four times. That's 400%. So if I've ripped them off $100, I'm going to pay them back $400. I think that's the masses, right? I'll pay back four times the amount. Now that's incredible. This joy of 
rejoicing that Jesus has come and that he, that he pays back 400%. Now, in, in that time, it was often 20%, you know, like it's 20% interest. So if you borrowed $100, you have to pay 20% on it. You pay back $120. Sometimes it might have been 200%. So you, if you borrowed 100, you'd pay 200 back. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that often a, often a 20% or a 200. But he pays back 400%. Now, there's one example of that in, in Exodus chapter 22, where it says if you, you know, style one cow, you pay that one back plus four. See, he's just, he's revolu- he's been so transformed that he's, he just wants, he, he loves God's law, he loves God's word, that he just wants to give back to those he's hurt, to those he's taken advantage of. Because where Jesus is, there is transformation. But with repentance and with transformation, the problem with that is that it lays our hearts bare. It exposes the deep thoughts inside of us of what we love and what we're determined to do. But transformation helps us bring and be determined to live in a new direction, to live under God's way, under God's rule. Because for, 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 for Zacchaeus, there's a sense of money. Do you see that the money controlled his life? It was the power of money. But what does money bring? Money brings control. The more money you have, the more you have power to control your situation. You know, like you buy more clothes. There's so much more you can do with so much more money. And so money can have that effect of having power over you so that you feel less anxious about tomorrow so that you can have control over tomorrow. And that may be you here today. Maybe money has that on you. And we can sit here and go, phew, I'm not like Zacchaeus. It's not money. But there can be other things that can have power over us. There can be careers. It's making sure you have the right career path so that that then you don't have to worry about tomorrow. And so it controls and it's what controls you to be happy. It could be your family, that you need to have the right kind of family. And so that controls your thoughts. Maybe it's to be the right style of parents. So that that's what controls your thoughts and your actions. And so that that's what the, your desires are. It could be retirement. It could be as a teenager, maybe it's the, 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 the power of image or acceptance and relationships. Or it could be the, the, the power of, I, I, I need to have a certain education and then in life I'll be right. And that, then what it does is it, it helps control your life so you're less anxious and less worried about tomorrow. But the transformation that Jesus brings is he he starts to shape our thinking. So rather than thinking like that, we start to bring our lives under his authority. That we now no longer find our identity in our parenting or our family or our career, but we now find our identity in Jesus who dearly loves us. Because where Jesus is, there is transformation. See, in no way is Zacchaeus to pay people back to be accepted by Jesus. Did you notice that? So he's not paying all this debt back so that Jesus accepts him. No, he's doing it because of the result of Jesus' acceptance. See, Jesus isn't asking you today to change yourself before he takes up residency in your life. He's not saying, hey, get your act together. He's not saying get your family together. He's not saying get your career together. He's not saying get your moral and and be a nice person. Get those things together and I will accept you and take up residency. No, no. He takes up residency and it's out of that joy and out of that position that he transforms you to be a new person. 
Because see, where Jesus is, there is transformation. And I think as Aussies, we're sort of, we want to be transformed. What's, what's some of our best-selling books? Self-help books. Books that give us five steps for the better life. They, they always sell well. Five steps so that you can be happy. And you go to even Koorong and you may read the book selection there of the top 10. And some of them will be just self-help books that say, here is 10 steps for the happy life. We want our lives to be different. We want them to be transformed. And so we go out and we find these self-help books. That if we're just to be nice people, then life will be better. If we just put these things in, our lives will be transformed. I love what C.S. Lewis, he talks about this. He says, Jesus didn't come to make you a nice person. He didn't come to make you a morally upright person either. Jesus came to make you a new person, a new creation. He's in the business of transforming us. Why? Look at verse 10. Because see, at the heart of these chapters in Luke is this idea of into the kingdom. It's entering the kingdom. How do you do that? Look at verse 10. Well, that's verse, verse 9. <laughs> Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. See, salvation has come to Zacchaeus. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. Now, that's, a, a, that's a quite ins that's a pretty pivotal moment there to say he's the son of Abraham. See, the Jews think that they are the sons of Abraham. Now, physically they are. But Jesus tells us elsewhere that the true Israel, the true Jews, are those who are spiritually. Those who, like Abraham, have, have trusted in God's promises. See, the Jewish people, those in the crowd, they thought they were sons of Abraham. Now, they are physically, but they're not spiritually. And here, how insulting it is for that Zacchaeus is seen by Jesus as a child of God. And why is that the case? Because we so often self-morally, self we live self-righteous lives that we think that that's what gets us there. But verse 10 reminds us, you don't get you there. Verse 10, here's the reason why. Because Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man, Jesus' purpose and mission is to come to seek and to save the lost. This idea of lost isn't the idea of being lost on the M4. It's not being lost with your GPS in the bush. The language here of lost is ruined and destroyed. Every human being is ruined and destroyed under the judgment and the wrath of God. But Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. To seek them out, to search them and to come and to save them. How amazing is that, that the God of the universe, it's not us going to him. It's not us seeking him out and searching. It's actually him who seeks and saves the lost. It's him who's broken into creation. And how amazing it is that the God of the universe finds great joy in saving people like you and me. He finds great joy in saving sinners. He finds great satisfaction in rescuing us and seeking and saving the lost. See, in Luke chapter 15, we have the parable of the lost sheep. 
The one sheep is gone and the shepherd goes out and finds that lost sheep and rejoices. We have the parable of the lost coin, the one coin that is lost. And this, this lady goes and does whatever she can to find it and there's great rejoicing. We have the story of the prodigal son, the son who goes away and he comes back and the father runs and embraces his son. See, the love of the Father that he would seek and save the lost. Great joy it is for God to see people rescued, saved. And that's the response the crowd should have had. The crowd should have responded with great joy. But because of their self-righteousness, seeing themselves as the ones who make themselves right, they grumble and complain because Jesus sought and saved a rich sinner. Because see, the beauty of this passage, the beauty of all the scriptures is this verse 10. This is a beautiful passage because it reminds us that Jesus seeks, he searches for, and he saves those who are lost. And how freeing that is because that means you and me don't have to perform. It's actually a freeing message that you do not have to perform to be saved. It's a freeing message to think that Jesus has done it all. Because what's surprising here is that this rich man finds salvation. Because, there is, because where Jesus is, there is salvation. Where Jesus is, there is transformation in people's lives. And so we've encountered that. So Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus and encounters more than he was encountering too. But what's that mean for us maybe today? And I, I think it's good for us just for a moment to stop and think, maybe you know this story of Zacchaeus. Maybe you've been coming to Turn Gabby for 50 years. Maybe you've been a Christian for 60 years. You've been coming along. And this story is, it just brings back memories of Zacchaeus. It brings back memories of that song called Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. All those memories of Sunday school and teaching it to kids. And, and maybe you're just thinking to yourself, oh, if we just got kids to hear that story again, they'd be saved. If just our world would hear that story, then they would be saved. And I wonder sometimes that as we journey through the Christian life, I wonder as we get older and keep putting a step in front of us, as we journey towards the end of our life and we look around and we think, man, I've done okay, do we sometimes forget that actually you were lost? And Jesus sought you out. That you've forgotten the beauty and the wonder of the good news of Jesus. That you're thinking, I just need to be nice. No, Jesus is in the business of transforming you. You were once lost, but now you've been saved. Maybe you've slipped into that idea of self-righteous living like the crowd. And so you grumble. Thinking, oh man, those people just need it. And you forget that you need it every day. And see, the, the beauty of this passage is that it's Jesus who gives salvation. So I think the longer we run the race as followers of Jesus, we start to slip into that idea that we start to give back to God in a way that brings salvation, where actually Jesus here, no, I'm the one who brings salvation. Remember today, Jesus has brought you salvation. Maybe that's not the case, or maybe it's you're sitting here and you resent Maybe you dislike those who are rich. Maybe there's something about them that, that you think, man, I'm just annoyed. I just don't, it just doesn't sit well with me how they're living. I just wish they had what they had. 
You're intimidated by those with wealth. You make excuses. You dislike them. And you just think, ah, who are they to be like that? This story tells us something very beautiful about that. It's really interesting the last week. Have you noticed the headlines this week? What's happened? In a world where I think as Christians and even if you're young or you're there's a sense in which you want to make a difference in this world. We want to see the right things put in the right place. We want to show respect to people. We want to show love to people. And, and it's interesting this week, have you, have you noticed that the headlines that, about Gina Reinhart, one of those, uh, she's a multi-million, probably, she's a rich mining woman. And so Netball Australia had a $50 million sponsor deal by her, but some of the players just didn't like some of the ways she's got her money, some of the ways her father talked about Indigenous people, a whole variety of things that they said, there's no way we're going to wear that logo. There's a sense of, we just don't like what she does. But Jesus loves her. If we want to make a difference in the world, be reminded that Jesus loves the rich. He seeks them out. He goes and he resides in them. Not only does he go to the poor and the hopeless, he actually goes to the rich. Because see, out of all the Gospels in the New Testament, Luke talks the most about wealth and poverty. And what can happen is that we can start to think that actually Jesus is majorly against wealth and is opposed to it. Luke speaks against it, we think, in a way that it means that we need to speak against all these kind of things. And then all of a sudden we've got this illusion that Jesus is against the rich. And that all we need to do is go to the poor and the impoverished. Now as Christians we are to go to the homeless and to the poor. We have a wonderful street ministry that goes and gives foods to the homeless on the streets of Blacktown. But we need to make sure that we don't go at that expense at the expense of the rich. Because Jesus loves the rich and we see that in this story that he will seek and search those who are lost. Because see, who's Luke writing to? The great Theophilus who would have been a man of wealth. Luke himself would have had wealth. See, what Luke's going, no, 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 it's Jesus who seeks and saves the lost. Your wealth, nothing you can do can earn it. And so as we are transformed, as we find salvation in Jesus who transforms us, then as Christians, we are good stewards and we are generous with our riches and want to see a world changed by his grace. Because it's not a matter of whether you're rich or you're poor. It's a matter of whether Jesus resides in you. Because where Jesus is, there is salvation. Where Jesus is, there is transformation and new life. The poor, the rich, we go, we seek, we save. Because the gospel's for every tribe, every tongue, every language. Because it is impossible, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, it's impossible to gain life and enter the kingdom of God. But who's it possible for? It's possible for the Son of Man who seeks and saves the lost. See, in today's passage, the crowds were stopping people from seeing the real Jesus. Last week, the crowds tried to stop the blind man. They tried to stop Zacchaeus. But also, Zacchaeus was a man who was despised by the Jews. He was rejected. 
He was a vile man. They really detested this chief tax collector. And so in this encounter, they are detesting him. They're rejecting him. They've, they're really angry with Zacchaeus. But something incredible happens. That anger, that disregard, that disrespect shifts from being on Zacchaeus to now shifting onto Jesus. Did you see that? The vile, the hatred, the, the anger, the, the rejected, despised Zacchaeus. It's not now Zacchaeus, it's now actually Jesus. That just gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what's going to happen in a couple of days' time, where Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected for us. Jesus takes the wrath of God off us and he places it on his son. Tungabi, where Jesus is, there is salvation to be found. Where Jesus is, there is salvation in him. Where Jesus is, there is transformation in him. And so TBC, let's remember your salvation. Remember that Jesus sought you out. He saved you. He's making you into a new creation. That Jesus is the son of man who seeks and saves the lost. Let's not forget that. But also today, there may be some Zacchaeuses here who have climbed up into this tree here today behind the feathers. You've climbed up and you just want to see a little bit more of Jesus. May today be the day that Jesus calls out your name and you come down and he comes and resides in you today. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, you have sought us, you have saved us. Help us never to forget the beauty and the wonder of what you have done. Father, thank you for residing in us. You're making us new. Help us to live for you, we pray. And help us to behold you, to delight in you, we pray. Amen.